0: Well, good morning, and good morning to you online. I'm glad you're with us. This is week five, walking through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you've kind of been tracking with us, this book um, really that w- really worked together opens with revealing kind of the prophetic hope that Israel has been waiting for. They have been exiled. They've been waiting for 70 years to return and now they're invited to return. And with that hope was not only rebuilding and returning, it was also this idea that the nations would belong to God, to Yahweh. They would be under His rule and reign and that Messiah in that return would be king over all the nations, and that everyone would bow their knee and be under the authority, the rule, the reign of King Jesus, or Messiah. For us we know is King Jesus. But they're waiting for that return and waiting for that hope. And so when word comes that you're going to go back, there is this hope that these things are going to happen, that these things are going to be fulfilled. And so this book is is laid out, we've kind of looked at the last several weeks, is laid out um, with this pattern that unfolds. So there's three different sections in this top part where you get a king's decree, a leader is raised up, they face opposition, and there's this anticlimactic moment. So Cyrus is this king who um, gives this decree. Zerubbabel is the leader. They don't need help from the outside nations. The temple building stalls, and then it's completed, and everyone says, well, this isn't what we thought it was going to be like. Um, And then there's the Torah and the identity in the second section of chapter 7. This was our favorite sermon ever, right? Okay? Artaxerxes is the ruler. Ezra is raised up. They look and say everyone's intermarried. And then the solution is well, just everyone get a divorce. Which, um, and by the way, I've been meaning to mention this the last several weeks, but Malachi chapter 2. Go read that. Because he talks about this idea. Don't forsake your love. Don't give in to this divorce. And a lot of scholars say, this is where Malachi comes in and speaks these words. Then there's this third section, one through seven in Nehemiah that we looked at last week. Artaxerxes is the king. Nehemiah is the leader. There are these neighbors who bring opposition. And then we find out that even though we were thinking Nehemiah and these people are really committed, maybe not as committed as we thought they were. And and so now we kind of move into the the rest of the book, um, chapters 8 through 12. And it really is kind of asking the question, is this the prophetic fulfillment that we were looking for? Is this really happening? We've returned. We've rebuilt. Is this the moment we've been waiting for? And so we're going to look at Torah, the confession, commitment, and celebration. And then next week we're going to come back and let's just see. Let's see how it goes. And so um, if you kind of looking at these first three sections, um, there's 70 years of exile. This first section takes about 25 years to complete the temple. And then there is a gap between the temple being completed and Nehemiah of about 75 years. And so there's there's some time between this. And then the walls take about 52 days to rebuild. And then the next part of this really happens in about a month time period, okay? And the month that it happens is pretty important. In Hebrew, it's Teshri, and it is kind of the holiday season for the Jews. There's three major events that happen during Teshri. There's the Feast of Trumpets, the first day. Um, Now it is Rosh Hashanah. Second is Yom Kippur, is on the 10th, it's the Day of Atonement, the most holy day in the Jewish calendar. And then seven days after that is the Feast of Tabernacles, um, and that is celebrated by the Jewish people. And so, this is the backdrop happening here in really 7 through um, about 12. Okay? So, we're going to start... Reading And this section is centered around three different readings of the law, okay? So there's three separate times they're going to stop and say, we're going to read together. So chapter 8, the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read aloud from it from daybreak, now listen to this, from daybreak till noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Right? I'm going to go for about 30 minutes. Is that okay? (laughs) There's your alternative. I can go till noon, or you can be patient for 30 minutes. Okay? So, I mean, it, it shows you, like, this level of commitment, though, right? Like, this is... If, if they're really serious about this, man, it's starting to show. Right? So, verse 5, Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's Levites surrounding him instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there together. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And so there's this moment where everyone is communally listening, and then it kind of seems like they break up into small groups to their little Bible classes, and they talk about it amongst themselves with these Levites kind of explaining what's going on, and what's happening. And because of this, because of what they hear, Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go, enjoy choice foods, sweet drinks, and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So they're hearing the word of the law read aloud, and their response is weeping. They hear God's Word, and they are convicted. They are, I think, in love with it, but they are seeing what they have done and how their lives don't measure up to what God has called them to be, and their response is to weep and mourn over their sins. And the response... Is not, hey, good, you should feel guilty. You're really awful people. Instead, this day is holy to the Lord. Don't weep, don't mourn, celebrate, find joy in the strength of God. Find joy. And so it brings up the question, Like, are we supposed to mourn and weep over our sin? Or are we supposed to celebrate the forgiveness and mercy that we have through God? And I think the answer is yes. That that our sin, we should mourn over. All of the ways that we do not live up to the people God has called us to be. But we also take great joy in the fact that God loves us and that He forgives us and that we have hope in Him. And so he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word here in Hebrew is maos. And it means mountain, stronghold, or refuge. And almost every other time in Scripture this is used, it's actually translated refuge or stronghold. And, and that has a little bit different feeling to it, right? The joy of the Lord is your refuge, it is your mountain. And then it brings the question, but is it our joy in the Lord that is our refuge? Or is it the joy that God has for us is your refuge? And I think, again, the answer is yes. It's, It's both. But I think it also conveys this idea that the prophet Zephaniah shared with the people of Israel as they're heading into exile. As they're, they're leaving, God says, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. And in His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can, can you imagine... The Creator of the universe saying he rejoices over you he takes delight in you and, and my guess is that someone could push back and say no 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 not me you don't understand where I've been you don't understand how far I've gone you don't know me. And I remember back to last week, the words of the prophet, no matter how far you have gone, to the furthest horizon, God will bring you back and welcome you home. He will delight in you. He will rejoice over you. And and so this covenant of his, exposes their failure, but it also shows God's great joy, love, and grace for his people. And so following this, they do, they go home together, they kind of break into small groups now, they go to each other's home and they eat and they rejoice and they spend time together celebrating God's goodness. So that's the first reading of the word. The second one happens just a little bit later. And I'm trying to just kind of hit the highlights of these readings, and then we'll kind of get to the, the meat of this, all right? On the second day of the month, all right, Teshri, um, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which was commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in these temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. And so this is Sukkoth, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they were going to go out and they were going to make temporary shelters for themselves, these temporary tabernacles, dwelling places, and they were going to celebrate together. And so they send everyone off to gather their stuff, their supplies, and build these houses. And then it says, verse 17, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. And this goes on for seven days, right? From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. On the eighth day, according, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Right? So, so one of the things I think is really important in this is we start to see Israel saying, no, we're going to take this serious. Like I know before we said we were going to follow God and we were going to be obedient. But this time it's for real. Like that time we said it and we, we messed up, but, but now this time, this time we're gonna get it right. This is it. But one of the things that we see is their life is starting to revolve around God. Right, here's the temple that's center place in our life, and we're going to offer sacrifices, and we're going to worship, and we're going to bring the Torah back in to the center of our world, and we're going to revolve around it. And so they're reading and they're following the Torah, and you start to get this sense, right, from Jeremiah's prophecy that I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Right, we're seeing this turn, we're seeing it change. We're seeing the people's hearts, it looks like, turn back. And it brings up the question, is there, is, are their hearts really turning back to God? Are they really changing? Right. Because there is this sense, like, we're going to center and focus our life on Torah and on God the Creator, and so then you come to this third reading, okay? Chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting, wearing shack- sackcloth, and putting dust on their heads. Those Israel, um, the Israelite descendants who had separated themselves from all foreigners, they stood their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they um, where excuse me, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worship to the Lord their God, standing in the stairs with the Levites. They list them all. Um, and then it says, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. And then it begins this really, really long prayer Ezra and it says blessed be your glorious name may it be exalted above all blessing and praise and and if you get a chance just to go read that because it really tells the story of Israel's history and what he calls the sins of our fathers of our ancestors and he's mourning it and he's sorrowful. And so it comes to this kind of conclusion, now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps His covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders and our priests and prophets and our ancestors, and to all your people from these days the king of Assyria until today, right? This is our fault. We've not been obedient. We have not followed. But you have brought us back, and we are committed now. But, see, we are slaves today, right? They've returned. They've rebuilt. It looks like things are going well. But, see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave your ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces because of our sins. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. You remember how the book started? Nehemiah Getting word that the people were in distress. And so it's been at this point 75, 80 years since this return began. And we're looking for this prophetic fulfillment, for this hope. And they're saying, Well, you brought us back, but once again, we're slaves. The problem is, we're slaves in our own land. And so they decide, like, finally, this is going to be it. Like, this time, we're going to get it right. This time, we're not going to mess it up. So look, um, verse 38, in, in view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders and our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Right, they're going to write this declaration and sign it. Like this is it. We are not going to mess up again. We're this time we're going to do it. We got it. And so they go through all of these names of everyone who signs this, who seals it. And then you come to verse 29. Chapter 10. All these now join their fellow Israelites. The nobles bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. All right, this is it. This time, we're really going to do it. This time, I promise, I'm not going to mess up again. Like, we're just going to you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we're going to do it. Like, we got it. And I know what you say, the history, and how many times we've said, we're going to do this, and we failed. And we said, no, we're going to do it, And then we felt, this time, we're going to write a decree and we're going to sign it and that's going to make the difference and now we're going to follow God. Now we're going to be obedient, right? And so then they give these commitments, right? We're not going to marry any non-Jews, so we're going to have to get divorced again, right? We're not going to work on the Sabbath. Every year, we're going to, or every seven years, we're going to cancel debts, right? We're going to pay a temple tax. Each of us are going to bring wood for the altar fire to keep it burning, and we're going to give first fruits, and we're going to tithe so that the Levites are provided for. And they make these commitments, and and the funny thing is they're not actually like fully, fully laws, but they're close because the context has changed from when these laws were given. And so what they're doing is interpreting, here's the law, and they're trying to, to commit to the spirit of it. Like, God, this is what You wanted. And so we're going to be obedient. And if you remember, like the purpose of the law wasn't just to follow these rules. It was to be the people of God and live as the people of God in this world to be his priests. But their focus is, we're going to get the rules right. We're going to make sure we're doing it exactly like we're supposed to. And and I kind of think of it like this line in the sand moment. Right? Like, all right, we're going to cross this line, and we got it. We're going to put it in writing. We're going to sign our names. We're not going back. We're not messing up again. This time, we got it. And the question is do they? Is this time going to be different? I mean, have you ever had one of those moments? Like, this is it. Today, I'm going to be a very organized person. I'm going to get everything in order, and I'm never going back to disorganization. Today, I'm going to start a diet. After I go to Whataburger and eat this bag of Oreos. Start again tomorrow. Going to get out of debt. Today is the day. Nothing else. Is there a problem? Does the problem continue to surface? Is this time really going to be different? Is your addiction going to be different? Is the marriage going to be different? Are you really going to get help this time? Are you going to follow that budget now? I mean, it's one of those things, like, this is so much just human nature of like, man, this is it. Today, everything is going to change, and today I've got it. It's going to be different. And I think the question that's so important for us to ask about Israel here is whose strength is their transformation relying on? Is this, all right, finally, we're surrendering our life to God? Or is this just yet again, no, God, we're strong enough, and we can do it. We can be obedient. See, because I think it highlights for us the incredible need we have for a Savior. Because I don't know about you, but I see myself in their story. Right? like How many times I've said, my life is going to change. I'm not going to struggle anymore. Today is the day. I got it. Until tomorrow. Until next week. Until next month when we find ourselves right back where we started where we find ourselves right back in that place that we said and we promised we would never go again. And so they make this commitment, and then they gather together, and they dedicate the walls, the city, the temple, to God's service for His good. And in it, the promise that their commitment, their allegiance to God is going to change. And if the book ends there, if the book just stopped right there, like it's an entirely different book. Like if the book ends there, it's a story of leadership and power and grit, and determination, like, you know, pull yourself up and just come on, you can do it. And it's going to be hard, but, but get in there and do it. And, and maybe a message of sticking with it and doing what you feel like God's called you to do. And, and if that's the end of the story, the heroes are Ezra and Nehemiah who have helped people return. They've rebuilt. And they brought people back to God. If that's the end of the story. But that's not how the story ends. And next week, next week we're going to look and see how the story ends. Because it doesn't end the way we would assume it ends. And, And for us, that we the people who have committed and failed, committed and failed, committed and failed, serve a God who says, I take great delight in you. And I rejoice over you with singing. Regardless of what you have done, Regardless of where you have been, you are my treasured possession. Father, thank you so much for the love that Jesus gives to his people. Thank you so much in spite of all of the times that we've said this is going to change. This is going to be different. And Father, we found ourselves right back at the starting blocks. Father, this story, like so many others, they don't highlight us and our ability to follow. In fact, they highlight your grace and mercy in spite of our ability to follow. And so, Father, we thank you for the stories like this, the stories we find ourselves in, the stories that represent our story. The stories that aren't just about Israel, but, Father, are really about us. We thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the giver of all good things. We pray in his name. Amen.